This person has made a big impact on our life. Have really learned a lot from her. All right, somebody get me out of here. <laughs> no, we've had our own little counseling in this whole thing. This has been quite the counseling session. <laughs> I hope you've learned a lot. We've definitely benefited from this. <laughs> you see we. That? Did you see that? Yeah, uh, and I just said we. Love or work. Welcome to the Lover Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we are in it already. We're going, a little feisty today. We are going at it. You we? just missed that. <laughs> we were already fighting. No. Listen, this is a great episode we have planned for you. Yes. Yeah. We're going to talk about care and capacity. We're going to talk about vacations, getting away. These two chapters are great. But before we do that, Andre thinks that I'm on, I have an agenda for all this. His own agenda that he's not including me in. Yes. I don't have an agenda. You wrote the question <laughs> for today's interview. I let you, I let you take the lead. Oh, that sounds like so Do you wrong. hear that? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Listen to this? that. You took the lead. I followed your lead. Oh, that's how you're going to rephrase it. And it, because I care. Okay. My capacity was full. Okay. And that's all I got. <laughs> No, before we actually get to it, I do have a little bit of an agenda. Okay. Yeah, it's just this. Just made a big announcement. We're having a lover work date night. It's on March 29th. If you're in the Atlanta area, then we want to invite you. Now, listen, here's what's going to happen. If you're not from Atlanta, I have an option for you too. If you're listening to this after March 29th, I also have an option for you. There's so many different levels, <laughs> right? Lover work date night. Before we get into the details of it, first of all, all of you people spend all this money doing something fancy on Valentine's Day. What do you feel about that, Andre? I don't like Valentine's you Day. You don't like Valentine's Day. So this is all driven by you. Okay. I um, don't even know what you're saying, honey. <laughs> Just keep going. Well, you may have had a great Valentine's Day, but the truth is we want to encourage you to go on dates all year long. It's called love all year should be what happens, not just on Valentine's How Day. about love life? How about showing love every day, not just one day? Right. So use some of that creativity <laughs> in other date nights, which is why we created this date night. <laughs> and so this is going to be fun. It's called the Lover Work Date Night. Oh, okay. <laughs> really creative. Really creative. We rented out a bowling alley. And so what's going to happen is you're going to come. It's like couples bowling. Is it couples bowling? Sure. I mean, you sign up as a couple. but. We have designed every frame of the bowling. There's something different you're going to have to do mm -hmm. that's going to make it a little unique. Let me get you. Should I give some examples? Oh, I don't even know what they are. We haven't decided on it, but we'll just roll <laughs> with it. There may be blindfold bowling where your partner has to direct you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. There might be a truth or dare bowl. Ooh. It could get a little saucy. <laughs> <laughs> or there might be. The frame, now this is going to create a lot of tension. The frame where your partner has to bowl for you and you have to bowl for your partner. Oh. And if it's like one of those like... Where it's close. Yeah, like and they could you know, ruin you your really, score. Yeah. You better not ruin my score. If you ruin my score. Anyway, so all that to say, it's going to be great. So whether you can come to our date night or not, we want you to come to our date night because it's going to be just... Epic. Yeah, epic. I mean, epic date night. <laughs> On March 29th. Or we want to make available to you, you can download the sheet and you can do it on a date night yourself. 
at a bowling alley of your at a choice. Bowling alley near you. Yeah. Now it'll be a little at a bowling alley near you. I will say wherever if, you may be <laughs> in the world. T- let me tell you this though: if you do that, just the two of you, and you blindfold your partner. <laughs> And you're the only two people bowling. and We need some picture documentation got, you of do. this. I got to tell you, it's going to be a little weird. Some of these we things. We need some Instagram tagging on that one. And if you do a truth or dare while bowling and you're the only two there and it's a little risque or the frame where I make you make out with your partner before you bowl. Ooh. That was your idea, not mine, right? Yeah, I know. You just reminded it's me. It's just a warning that you may, you know, it could, people might look at you. Hey. Who cares? It, We're not here to please others. I know. I'm here to just stay in love. <laughs> so here, let's get to our episode because this little announcement's taking forever. Jeb, you're just talking. Just so where talking are we going? away. Where are we going? Let me take over now. You you had your agenda. Now it's my turn. I'm following your lead. So today. So today, where we're going to go. (laughs) I am going to strangle you. Do you understand, listeners, why I'm already mad at him? Okay, here we go. Today, I brought the girls back again, only they're different friends this time. And we decided to make it a little different in a more like ages and stages interview with care and capacity and with the vacation chapters. So today we have Lynn Mercer. Uh, She's our older wiser. And then we have Heather Trilling. She's our in the middles. Then I'm in the middle after that. And then Callie Rich. So it's like, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s. Are you referring to yourself as middle-aged? God, that's so depressing. So what we have here is three dear friends, all in different ages and stages, talking about care and capacity and getting away. Let's get right to it. Here we go. So we're talking about care and capacity, and then we're also talking about the getaway chapter. So I want to first start with care and capacity a little bit and just kind of hear like overall, when you read it, was there something that really resonated with you either at the stage that you're in right now, or if you thought back on your life and thought, whoa, I wish I would have done that different, or I wish I would have changed you know, or I didn't do this well in this age or stage. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Well, it's, it's so interesting that you reached out because I would say that this is probably the biggest challenge metamorphosis or whatever that I've gone through over the last two years, understanding myself in relationship to care and capacity, because truly my greatest accomplishment and that is the most dear to my heart is our family. And so I felt everything you were saying was exactly how I saw myself. I could do it all. I had no limits, pile it on. There's nothing. And the more other people around me couldn't do, I had, I would just take it on, just take it on. And I really truly believed I didn't have limits. I thought, I, that was my job as a mom, as a wife, that if people were uncomfortable or if they were just not doing it and needed to get done, that that was just, I just needed to step in. And I got a lot of validation for that. You know, I would get like, even if I was tired or I almost felt like my family or my friends or, you know, my sisters, they would just cheer me on more like, oh no, you, you can do it. You can, you can, you know, I'd say, oh, I don't know. Oh yeah, you can do that. And I even did that in my work. And that was just autopilot for me. 
And I would feel the burnout, but I just powered through because like, like you were saying in the book, it's your superpower is also really your greatest weakness, kind of begging to be cared for. And so when Peyton was diagnosed with cancer, it was so advanced at that time, at the time of diagnosis and everything had to stop. Like the doctors were like, there's no school, there's no work. There's nothing but throwing yourself for an entire year into saving this child's life. That moment, I couldn't even, of course, it was like, I remember looking at him and saying, we're not going to go to school. We're not going to work. Like I had never even entertained that thought that, that we would, you wouldn't be, have some sort of productivity, even, even though I came from the background of being a nurse, you know? so. Anyway, that was the moment where I just just learned how to change. And it was a lot of surrender and a lot of just total let go and just living day to day. And I couldn't do any of the things I did for my entire life with anyone except care for every ounce of me went into caring for Peyton. And that was an unbelievable domino effect but a beautiful domino effect for our family, ultimately. So in context, for listeners that don't know, even other guests are here, they don't know the whole story. Uh, Peyton's your daughter, the youngest daughter. Can you give us just a little context to the story? She was 11 at the time, and she had some foot pain that we had been following and seeing multiple specialists. And everyone was like, she's a healthy, normal kid. She's just got some growing pains and nothing to worry about. Fast forward to about you know, almost a year of this unexplained pain and which then developed into a cough, which, you know, I was actually a pediatric oncology nurse, but that's how I started in. And then I was like, I knew we went in and we found out that she had had cancer that was, had started in her foot, had spread to her tibia, and then was now in her lungs. Totally devastating. It's a very, very rare cancer. So rare. It's one in 5 million all the doctors that we had had never seen it in their careers, the orthopedic, we were with every head orthopedic in all, you know, in Los Angeles. And here we are in this, not in like a little tiny town, but the doctor did say to me, when we finally got connected with the right oncologist, he's like, I am going for a cure just so you know, you know? And so even though in my head, I was like, how is this possible? But that's what he said to me in the beginning. And he's still saying it. So that's kind of a very short introduction into kind of where we started on this journey. And journey has been, I believe, two years. She was diagnosed in 2019 and she's still under treatment, you know, so it's still part of our life. It's the number one thing that leads me on a daily basis. So when you were saying back in the beginning about how this led to a domino effect for caring for her, but then for your whole family. What do you mean by that? And what does that look like? I felt so many, I'm just in my business. I was like the number one person, you know, I was at everything, every meeting, every bit, every single part of my business, I have my hands were on it. In my home, I felt like I handled everything for the most part. People would kind of come to me for delegation, but like even my husband, like it was kind of like, I felt just like we had sort of set up this, I felt like I was just the leader in such a, overly strong way. And 
the domino effect was that when, when Peyton was to diagnose, we looked at, you know, my husband, and I looked at each other and we we're like, okay, what, how are we going to handle this? And it was like, I said, okay, I'm just, I'm going to be a full-time caregiver. I'm just going to be by Peyton's side every second. And I kind of was like, I just got to lean into you and you just got to take care of everything. I was prepared in my mind to lose everything, like lose our house, lose, not pay the bills. Not that I really didn't feel he was capable, but it just, I didn't, at that point, I didn't really care. You know, I needed him to just step up and take care of everything with the other girls and also be there for me somehow. And then I, 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 we, you know, we got therapy right away, obviously, you know, constant therapy, all of us. And one of the things that I think the domino effect that was so beautiful for everyone is everyone learned to go within and, and learn what do I need and what do I feel and how do I ask others to show up for me? And that was really helpful because it was then it was everyone else's response. It was, we have six of us, right? So it was six people's responsibility to work on themselves and show up for themselves and then teach us all how to show up for each other. Whereas I felt like the way we operated before was a little bit more like me kind of constantly sitting down with the girls and what are you feeling? And I think you should do this. And I, you know, and I feel like they just relied so much on on my advice and my, my guidance. And I was just so involved, you know, and Andy, I felt like I was a little bit judgmental of him not being there, but I realized through this that I wasn't allowing him to be seen. I wasn't seeing all the things that he could bring to the table for me and for the girls because my presence was so strong. And the default, like doing it all. Just do it all. Just, and he was like, you did a great job. I didn't need to do it, you know? And then I was meanwhile getting really tired and not really thinking that he couldn't do it. But I was like, he was like, you, you really can load that dishwasher well, so. The man's got it good right there. <laughs> so I think um, it allowed me to just let go and let things get done that maybe wasn't my way or maybe it didn't get done right away and maybe things were a little late and the girls might have not gotten help every single night but they learned how to like tap into other people and the truth is when you have a child with cancer at least it was our experience everyone showed up for us and I was never used to that where we had I mean people just showing up every day I mean, my phone would just blow up. Our community just rallied. And I, at first I was so uncomfortable with that. Like, how do I ask for help? How do I allow that? That makes me feel like I'm, I don't know. It it was something personal that I, and I don't even know what it was. It just didn't feel, it didn't feel right for me. Like it did. And and it was almost like a lone wolf kind of attitude that I think, think I carried for so long, which is, and then I learned like lone wolves don't survive. They just don't, you need a pack. And So I allowed other people to help us and I allowed other people to help the girls and it just gave everyone so much internal strength. And I think now we just are able to just know what we each individually want. And in our marriage, I guess I, my surrender to just please take care of me, please take care of this house, please take care of the girls. Cause I was at the hospital all the time and he took a leave of absence from work and just threw himself into our business. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to run our business. Like, how is he going to run our business? And he did in, in his own way. And I, when I stepped back into the business, he, all of his strengths that he has, 
he poured into the business. And so it grew in this other beautiful way. All the things that I wasn't like, I'm such a creative. So I didn't have a lot of process and organization to the business that he brought to the business. That's probably an understatement. Like I didn't have a lot of process. Didn't have... (laughs) I didn't have... I, I was just like, I didn't really have like the ability to scale. And I didn't know how to, because when you are doing everything, you can't scale. And I didn't know how to scale because I'm a nurse turned landscape designer entrepreneur. So I just did what I thought I knew how to do. That's an interesting concept for others too, like that when you start caring for yourself and starting to change your capacity change, you had to care for yourself and Peyton basically, then it created opportunities for other people's like gifts and things to emerge that wasn't part of the equation before. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And that it's okay. Like it's okay to not do it all. It's, it's actually really the right way to be, you know, we really need each other and it's okay for the girls to like, they have, have such a better relationship with Andy now. And I realized that I was kind of in the way of that. He always thought like, well, I have four daughters, you know, they should have bond with their mom more. Like it was sort of like this kind of a checkout because I'm their girls and I'm, you know, I'm the mom. And we kind of all bought into that a little bit. And then, then, you know, I felt, I felt, I feel bad. Cause I think, I think he probably was really lonely for a long time and not knowing his place because of how strong I was. I celebrate the differences that we have. Like we're totally different people, a hundred percent different. But I, I, instead of looking at that, like different, I'm stronger, better, which I think I, even though I never said that, I think I might've thought that, but instead he's equally strong and he brings just as much to the table. And I think after like 20 years of marriage, I finally was able to see that and celebrate that instead of, kind of just taking things on because I was afraid that maybe it would fall apart. And I know, you know, and then, you know, now it's interesting to understand, like now I've, I've spent the last two years studying myself. Like, why do I operate this way? Why do I think this way? Where does this come from? And that discovery has really been wonderful because now I, I actually like get myself and I, I say, Oh, that's the wound that you have. And that's why you did that. But that doesn't exist anymore. And now you can be where we are today and grow from that and stop, you know, leaning into that wound and lean into a different way of, of operating. Thank you for sharing all that with us and with our community. I Multiple times, Callie and Lynn looked at me and gave me some version of a head nod or agreement And I'm curious what you guys are thinking related to this and how it relates to you. Callie, I think this is good for leading into kind of your story. I think you felt a lot of what Heather's saying, and especially now with so many kids and young kids and all of that. But I think also you had like a revelation. I mean, I'm not going to say the book did it or anything, but you know, it could have. I mean, who knows? (laughs) Uh, But tell about how, first of all, why you didn't read our book, even though she's one of my bestest friends here, guys. She told me, I'm not reading your book. So why don't you start there? Because that that was real good. That was real nice. You know, good friends are honest. And your book came out in 2020. 
at the time, we were in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, and I had seven kids at home. And a year prior to your book coming out, we had been in Chick-fil-A, and I had sat weeping in Chick-fil-A because I just found out we were going to have another baby, and we had a 10-month-old. And I felt totally overwhelmed by that. So fast forward, we said, we're going to put all of the support systems around us to make sure that we're thriving as individuals in our marriage. We're going to get outside support. Most of the kids are in school. And then 2020 happened and it all went away, including any outside support we had. So I had been home for six months at that point with seven kids all the time with the inability to go anywhere. And I started to read the book. It was very triggering for me because I knew that I had a lot of suppressed emotions around it, that there wasn't space in that moment for anything besides what was right in front of me. And that was taking care of my kids. Mm -hmm. So I just tabled it because I needed to. And our family, that's what our family needed from me at that time was to table it. And I told you. (laughs) We know all this. I'm just teasing. Yeah. So uh, our kids went back to school in the fall of this year, kind of. Uh, That's what I was going to say, kind of. (laughs) It was still really touch and go. You know, this whole year has been touch and go. And Jonathan asked me, what do you want to do now? And I said, I want to sit down. (laughs) But I needed some. Take a nap. Yeah, I needed some space to regroup. I didn't have any dreams. I didn't have any dreams except for my children not being home with me all the time, which sounds awful. I promise I do love my children, but we do thrive when we get some space from each other. So you read the book because then I made you. I forced you. So I read the book. Because I asked you to come on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole new strategy. Like you have a podcast (laughs) and before people can come on, they have to read your book. It's like... It's really great. Yeah, or at least great. the two chapters that you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two chapters, just two, Callie. So I did. I read the book. I listened to my own husband on the podcast. And when I heard him recount my dreams for me from the time I was 15 of what I set out to do professionally, I just kind of sat and said, you know, I've spent the last eight years since I left my profession wanting to forget how much I loved it. And I've been very unsuccessful at that, despite being in a very thriving home with my kids. So that night, I started looking for jobs. (laughs) And I told my husband the next day, I think I want to go back to work. And he was a little shocked, but supportive. And it, it wasn't about going back to work outside the home. It was that I had a profession I really loved. And in the season that I set it down, it was it's what was needed for our family. That lover work tension you talk about in the book, we lived it. At the point I set my career down, we had three small children. My husband's business was just taking off. We had no employees. So I was helping him with the business. We couldn't keep up with the laundry and something had to give. Our family life felt chaotic all the time. So I set my career aside at the time because that's what we needed. Thinking it was going to be one year. I did. I said, I'm going to stop for one year to help us get our feet back under us. And then four more kids later. Yeah. Yeah. That was a surprise. (laughs) Four more kids and how many more? Five more years. No, it's been eight. Yeah. Eight eight total years. Yes. And I, I think we've sat with you 
multiple times and knew that there was no, your capacity was more than, there There was no more capacity. I mean, I think that's, it, it's interesting because like thinking about Heather's story and you, your life was completely full in every way and then you had to dial it all the way back. And Callie, I know, I remember sitting with you and just experiencing your just overwhelmed and exhaustion, right? Absolutely. I mean, so my youngest four children, I had three under three. Mm-hmm. And then I think a four-year-old at the time, plus three other kids. When we started the pandemic, I had an infant that was four months old, a one-year-old, and a two-year-old. And then four other school-age kids I was supposed to be in charge of. I mean, just there hasn't been space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm anything else. You're right. And even to that, I mean, talking about capacity, you said like, do you know your capacity? And I think there are hard limits that we encounter, but sometimes you get stretched and what you thought was your capacity, it stretches further, you know? So I would have told you at four kids, I had the capacity for five, but not a single more. I would have told you at six kids or no, at at five kids, I had the capacity for six. (laughs) Just kept going. Right. So I agree. And but I also agree that I also think that that's only for a limited time. Like you might be able to stretch it. And it's like the rubber band, like, sure, it will stretch further than what you thought. But at some point, it's going to snap. 100%. Is that where you feel like you are right now? (laughs) (laughs) I don't plan to have any more children, if that's the question. No, I mean, just like even just you and like personally, like what you can do and your limitations. And well, let me ask you a little bit differently, too. I'm going to add on to that, because one thing I heard from Heather was this identifier in the last two years to try to understand what do I need? Yeah. Right. Is that a question that you've I think the last couple of years you've been processing too? where have you landed in that? When you and I first met, Jeff, was right after I had left my career as a nurse. That's right. And it was interesting because I remember our very first meeting was a little bit confrontational on my behalf because I felt like Jonathan had told you, oh, she's a homemaker. And I I was like, Jeff, I have other passions besides being a stay-at-home mom. That's just where I'm at in the season. So fast forward eight years. I mean, I dabbled in it a little bit still as I was able to, but yeah. Here we are. And the years just kept going. And But do you think that there's, I feel like knowing you, I mean, I remember there's some times, I think in the last couple of years where I saw you come to grips with, I'm at a maximum. And to lean into Jonathan and be like, I need to get away. Or I need, like, coming to grips with understanding what you need. Is that fair? Yes, I think that's fair. I mean, I am an introverted extrovert. So I really value alone time as well as time. And so being in a household with lots of loud people all the time can be very draining for me. So I did discover I I need time out away. Even if I'm home, I need time outside of this home. Honestly, our littlest ones. So we did eight years of always having a baby at home. And this is our very first year that everyone's been old enough to go to a preschool. So that has given me a little bit of mental space to kind of regroup. It's so interesting. I think as adults, two of the hardest questions we have, what do we want and what do we need? Like they're the hardest. Mm-hmm. 
hardest realization to come to. Like, I, it's funny, our team, uh, Kayla on our team was just asking me last week, I kind of got frustrated with a bunch of stuff. And she's like, how can I help? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what you can't help me. Da, 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 da. You know, like it, you just get overwhelmed in the moment and you, you can't step back because your capacity is reached mm-hmm. to actually understand what you need or, or even maybe what you want. I think it's a hard, hard yeah. space. I think along those lines, Andre talked in the book about how she just pushed through with no thought of herself. Yeah. And that really resonated with me because I feel like I've been in an elongated season of that, of you just push through to do what needs to be done. And so you're right. I mean, the rubber band stretches and it either snaps or or you reevaluate. But I feel like we're just now in a place where I can regroup and say, oh, I do need to think about what do, what am I dreaming about? I don't even, I mean, through 2020, I was like, I have no dreams. None. Besides <laughs> except getting being out of by myself. <laughs> yes, truly. So, I mean, there's seasons of recalibration to figure yeah. out what those are. That's good. Lynn, what resonated with you in the care and capacity chapter? What did it make you think of? Well, first of all, I really resonated with you saying, I'm overwhelmed. I just have no, I don't have dreams. I don't, you ask me what my favorite color is. I don't know. It's just, you, you just stretch that band so far that you just lose yourself. And, you know, I've reached that place a couple of times and it's always been a good thing. It leads us to studying ourselves, which I like how Heather said, you know, getting to know who you are and what you need. I've noticed, and I think it's okay, that everyone has different capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend who refers to small plate people and large plate people, and it's okay. And recognizing how big your plate is, you know, what your capacity is. Yes, it can be stretched when it needs to be, but not forever. But if you recognize I'm more of a small plate person, that's that's a huge deal to realize about yourself. Or, and, you know, I see Heather's a, a big plate person, can just, can make things happen, can get things done and limitless and that whole thing. I don't know that I'd call myself a small plate person, but I don't have huge dreams. I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't say, oh, I want to own my own business one day. But I think it's just as important to find out about yourself, like what brings me joy? What uh, what do I need? I think as women and, and mothers, we just do. We just give it. And in the young years, when the kids are young, you just do what you got to do and you table everything else. And at some point you just say, I need something. And I don't, what resonated with me, Andre, is when you said, when Jeff said, what do you need? And you said, I don't know what I need. Mm -hmm. And that's key because if we all just knew what we needed, it'd be a lot easier to say, here's what we need to do. But when you get to a place, and Jeff, I think you just said this a few minutes ago, that when you get to a place where you're overwhelmed, you don't know what you need. Someone says, how can I help? And you don't even know what to tell someone to help you. So let's see. This will probably get to me, but on our 20th anniversary, um, I was at that place, and here it was supposed to be just kind of like your date when everything was supposed to be for your birthday that you tell in a book somewhere. It was supposed to be a great getaway, and that's when my elastic broke, and I just said, I don't even know who I am anymore. I, I don't, you know, I need to know who I am. And Rick, my husband, was so understanding, and he was so... 
whatever you need. Just, you know, be free to tell me everything you need. I just want to know what you need, and I want to be here and support you. And it's in those times when you reach your limit that someone else is there to say, I'm here, and whatever you need. And so that's when I started learning more about me, because I really didn't know. Um, I remember uh, taking part in a a group. It was nine months long, and it was called Discovering God's Purpose for Your Life. And it was really kind of a turning point. It was just a a vehicle for me to study myself and mm-hmm. and say, you know, what are my gifts? What what brings me joy? What what doesn't bring me joy? What am I doing that doesn't bring me joy? And it's not all about joy. It's just but what feeds you? Like who am I? And how was I made? And what you also said that the in the book that uh, knowing your limits is the beginning of all, becoming all you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. And at first, I thought that's what I kind of disagreed with, but. Now that I've come around, I really do agree with that, but it's just different for everyone. And so it's, mm-hmm. at first I read it as becoming all I was meant to be is some something I'm not. And so mm-hmm. that's why I disagreed. But, you know, if we're all meant to be different than whatever we're meant to be, I think knowing our capacity is the key to, uh, to becoming all that we're meant to be. Mm-hmm. So I love hearing stories of how you're discovering that kind of at an earlier age. And I tend to think, I wish that back then I'd known more or, but you know, the more I think of it, it all kind of happens the way it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And all the experiences that you have along the way put you where you are every given day. And it's just, I don't regret anything. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've been very blessed and, but I really don't regret being home with my girls because that was kind of my dream, and and I got to live that. But it has its own difficulties, too, because Rick was working a lot, and I was doing everything at home, and that's not that shared. So that's kind of hard connecting and staying connected as a, as a couple in your marriage. But, you know, we did things over the years, and retreats and things like that, and all, and all that helped. And then as the girls got older, we traveled as a family and that kind of thing. So this is the kind of thing that I enjoy that does bring me joy. So just realizing that I'm I'm in a stage in my life now where I can pursue that more and, and enjoy that more and, and not compare that it's not like changing the world or... Oh, I beg to differ, Lynn Mercer. <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, there's definitely people listening right now. There's probably some people sitting in their car listening to this that are in tears like the combination of the stories they they re- are resonating with one of your stories there or something you said so if you were to go backwards any of you and could tell yourself something if you were in that place of sheer exhaustion what is it that you would want to hear right now or what could you say to that person yeah i'm just curious what what i'm going to start with you heather I think I've always been such a type A person and I almost like give myself like a report card. I used to do that. Like, well, did you do an A work today and every single thing you did? And how much did you get out done on your to-do list? And just to, I grew up where my mom would grade us on everything, you know, like everything, how you were, what you wore and what you, you know, how you, yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. But I think, I have so much grace for myself now. Like I'm imperfect. I'm messy. I'm 
I'm sad. I'm, I'm some days I don't want to be an adult. You know, I don't want to do all the stuff that's on my to-do list. And that's a hundred percent. Okay. And that it was never okay in my head. And I, I, sometimes if I'm, I'm having a day where I'm just, I'm really sad and I'm really struggling with whatever. I just hold myself in that. And I give myself a hundred percent permission to be wherever I am. And that might mean taking the day off spontaneously and canceling everything. That might mean taking a walk for two hours instead of an hour. Or, But I, I also then can give that grace to everyone around me. And my expectations are less on everyone that I meet. And I want that to be okay. And that we can sit in a day of, of sadness and that's okay. Like, or difficulty or failure or just life not unfolding the way we hoped it did, that that's going to happen. hundred percent. It's going to happen. And kind of like letting the waves of that happen throughout life. I guess for me, I would have taught myself to just accept imperfection, failure, not being productive, things not unfolding the way I wanted them to everything, all of it. Just like, it's all okay. It's okay. Everything's okay. I guess that's what I would have said. What about you two? Either one of you have a thought, Lynn? That's funny because when I, about when I turned 50, my mantra for the whole year was, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems like what Heather's describing is to feel your feelings and and accept them. And I think in, in years past, that wasn't a priority in my mother's generation or even in ours more so now it it feels like mm-hmm. like my 2-year-old grandbaby they're reading books they have charts on the wall of feelings and how you can have different feelings at the same time the feelings and, wheels yeah and what do you feel you know and the way she talks my daughter talks to her is you know, are you feeling frustrated? Or I can see you're feeling frustrated. I know that, you know, just she's acknowledging hmm. it's called emotional intelligence. Yeah. And and it's it's a skill that in early childhood is being intentionally taught and yeah. you know. And none of that was free. <laughs> you you did not experience any of that. No, yeah. <laughs> no, I did not at all. And so I think that what I'm seeing is we it all comes down to that in the end and realizing the control we don't have and because uh, when i when i heard heather talking about what it means like to give herself grace or take a day off whatever you know in my husband's work world for 30 years that that's not an option you you have a work ethic you work you do the impossible just because you have to kind of like how it was before you had to let everything go that's what's um seen as success in the business world. Yeah, productivity. Productivity. And that sticks with you. And so to just say, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I had to teach myself that because Rick was in that world where, no, it's not okay. I have to figure this out. I have, this has to happen. This, you know, and, and he's also very different than me. And he's, uh, he's a type A and he can make things happen. He's a high capacity person. And so a lot of times I get the message, you know, it's not okay. Yeah. So that's, I think, why that surfaced when I turned 50. <laughs> it's funny hearing you guys talk because I'm thinking through the lens of, in general, the husband 
so what's interesting, so I'm listening not only as the only male in the room, the only husband in the room. What I love about this is that all three of your stories, none of you guys weren't mad at your husbands now. But in the middle of the most, when that, when the rubber, using your example, the rubber band is about to break, it feels like it's our fault. Which at times in those scenarios, there was probably something, it could have been our fault. I just remember this one time, I was having a burger at this bar in East Atlanta called The Earl. <laughs> and I got this call from Andre, this two friends. And it was so loud on the phone that I was like, I'm going to pay you back. And I just stood up and just ran out the door. And I was like, I have got to run home six blocks and get there. And I was like, it was all my fault. I felt the pressure that everything was my fault. But actually, it wasn't all my fault. But I said it was all my fault because that was the right thing to say in the moment <laughs> for the record. All that to say, here's my question. If you were to advise the partners of people that right now that are, that are feeling like their partner is at an extreme exhaustion. And because I think in that moment, I, I want to help. I want, I, but I literally don't know what to do. What advice would you give them? You know, Lori Watson, who was on your podcast, talks about the four hours of autonomous time. And I think that that mental break is what most partners need the most. So I would say, don't wait for your partner to ask for the time. Be proactive in making that happen. If you want to gift your partner something, do not give them a gift certificate because they won't give themselves the capacity to use it. Set something up for Set them up to the go yeah. do that activity. Make the get appointment. Get a massage, get their nails done, whatever it is. For the four hours of autonomous time to me, I leave for four hours. I come back feeling so much more prepared to mother my children well, to be a good wife, to enter back into our home life. This is my question for the partners like Heather and other people's partners that are wanting to be supportive, but are not given the time or the, like Heather, your example, like you didn't let that go to him. Is that your responsibility to let that go to him? Or is that his responsibility to pick that up for you? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I think it was a dynamic that was unconscious between the two of us. Um, and now it's very conscious and intentional to lead in both of us to have the idea of partnership in everything. But that's a dialogue. That's like me saying what I need, what I like to do. Like, I like to open all the bills, get them all organized. Then we can sit down together and talk about, you know, it's like he wants to pay the bills together. Well, I used to just do it all myself right? And then let him know, you know, it's like, what does partnership like for me, it was like learning what partnership looked like in so many different ways, planning a trip, buying something, just your week in general, divvying up the week and everything that has to, in some ways, it's almost like a proactive approach to what are all the things that have to get done? What do you want to do? What do I want to do? What do I need? How do we carve out time that's together? So we're not just like, literally like running a business because family's like running a business and all of a sudden you're just business partners all week long, right? But some of that has to be intentional. But for me, sometimes I think when I'm frustrated, like I've, I've made that phone call where I'm like, Barr! and sometimes it's like, you just want to be heard. 
there isn't anything to do. I mean, I don't know what you were calling about. I don't know if like the house was burning down or what was happening, but sometimes you just need to be heard and validated. And there's something underneath that. It's not whatever she's calling about or whatever it is or whatever I'm calling about usually isn't that that's making me so angry. It's some unmet need that's underneath that or some unheard feeling that's been neglected for whatever. And then that's where you got to sift through like the details and get what's underneath. Like, where's all that coming from? Why, why? And usually you guys, I know with Andy and I, we have like two wounds that literally we're like, we're activating. Mm. And so it's so simple. We know like, oh, I, now I, now that we've identified with those, I are like, okay, I know what I'm doing right now is activating that. And so I got to take a step back, honor that and speak it. And then, because if you're not, if you're not seeing the wound and you're ignoring it, then the person's going to get louder. And there really isn't like a quick fix. It's almost like these deep underlying feelings that are like activating this response. And so I think we just argue differently now. And we just, you also see the person, um, instead of seeing the anger, you see, oh, that person's in pain. That person is hurting right now. Mm. She's not mad about like, you didn't do whatever. It's like you ignored her or you you're putting too much on her or you're not seeing that she's overwhelmed or whatever. I'm not directing this all at you, Jeff. I'm sorry. But you are the man in the room. Hang on. This ha- for the record, this situation <laughs> happened a very, very long time ago. I don't even remember what I was screaming about. Trust me, I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. It really doesn't matter. You was just probably the whole week she was pissed off and just bursted. It was funny though, because that same what the friend I was having dinner with. We've never gone back to that restaurant. I think both of us have a wound from that restaurant at that moment. Like, this isn't going to work out. We've never been back. Without having any context for it, what I hear is what a trigger for me was with small kids is feeling trapped. Oh, look, you have the autonomy to be out doing what you want to do or what you decide that you want to do. And I'm trapped. And that's been a constant tension for us of trapped versus autonomy. Yes. And whatever the timestamp is in this podcast, this is like the thing you can like send to your partner right now. It's like at minute 11th or whatever it is, like when Callie says, I feel trapped, this is what I've been trying to say to you in the moment. Like this is exactly, yes, absolutely. 100%. That's what she felt in that day. I don't remember what it was about, but it was probably about how I was having a drink with friends and she wasn't. At the core. In the last, I mean, in the last eight years of me being at home, what we realized the tension was for us was that it wasn't that I envied that he was at work. I envied that I perceived he had autonomy and I did not. So we were able to whittle it down to I perceive you have autonomy. He perceived I'm carrying the weight of a lot with my business. And I would gladly change positions with you. And so we had to work through that and realize it wasn't really that I envied the weights he was carrying and responsibility of work. It's I envied that he had autonomy when he was outside of our house. A lot of times just they don't feel they have as much autonomy as you feel like they probably mm-hmm. have, you right. know? Yeah, the anger is a funny thing because... I read somewhere once that anger is just a secondary emotion. There's always something else behind it. And I, I think I believe that's true. And in Rick's work environment, he was 
he would often get frustrated was the word we used just because he was so stressed all the time from work and 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 expectations were just part of he was always wanting to do more and i was content in doing what i did but i think the dynamic of each of you having your kind of things you take care of i think we we both have a responsibility i can remember when the kids were real little and he was traveling with work which is really hard on a family and he would come back after 4 days and he would offer to help say an example i remember is putting the little one in the car seat and the child the little one was so used to mommy doing it a certain way certain time every time mm-hmm. that when dad tried to do it they rejected him and that's hurtful and it was you know he then he would feel like well you do it and i would i would take it from him so you know that's just one little example but i just in more recent years i remember a time when i realized when I kind of started to say it's okay and speak up and learn what I needed, I got real angry. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. But I remember just kidding about it saying, whoa, you have come out of it, you know, and you are one angry woman, whatever, and we'd laugh about it. So I think when you've waited so long to do that, you kind of go the other way and it all kind of came out and then you kind of come back. But I do remember thinking my lack of letting him do things yes, like that. Yes, we're culpable. Yes. Uh, it's just as much me wanting to please or or not. Or control. Or, or keep everything just peaceful. Peaceful that um, it's just as much me as it was, is that it was him. You know, so the dysfunctionality, that's what dysfunction is. You know, when, when you fit together really well, but not in a healthy way in certain Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, it's easy to find your roles. And so this is a sweet time in life, though, when when the pressures are off and you start to figure some of those things out. And it's like, yeah, maybe we wish we'd figured some of these things out earlier. But again, a year after retirement to see my husband, he's changed a lot as far as being you know, more empathetic, more thoughtful, more helpful, more, you know, mm-hmm. and and he's actually apologized for not understanding or not, you know, emotionally being, knowing how to help. Yeah. But I didn't know myself. And so, you know, there's a lot more forgiveness. So the long and short of it is, though, I think it's it's really smart to just keep going through the hard times because it is the better way. Okay. Now, I know you guys all wanted to talk about Andre's chapter, but I did write a chapter also. It's not better, but it's there. I didn't say better. I didn't say a better chapter. <laughs> Although, I mean, honestly, I'd rather talk about vacations than capacity. But <laughs> <laughs> what's unique about all three of you is you all have actually done some unique things related to getting away as a family. And so I think part of this chapter, I mean, you can read it and there's a lot of logistics in it and it might not be the most exciting to read, but it is important. I think it's made a big impact on our family to separate. And then sometimes in those separations, you have these incredible connection times with your partner to unpack some of those capacity issues. Uh, but I wanted to just hear from each each of you to share a little bit about something you each are doing for your families that's unique because it might give some ideas to other listeners kind of about what they could do. So can you start, Callie, about what your this big family goal you guys have? Sure. First, I'll just say 
when we first got married, we were counseled to try and prioritize getting to wait, away together as a couple two times a year. And that time for us has been difficult as the young babies, you know, when you're in young baby season. But that time for us is so invaluable for our marriage. It's the time that we look at each other and say, oh, I see you. And I still like you. And when we get through this season, we're going to be just fine. So, yes, we have prioritized traveling as a family, but also as a couple, I think is really important. As far as our family is concerned, yes, uh, we are in the journey to take our kids to all 50 states. So we have done 44 of them, and we have plans for this summer to do three more. So. We're almost there. But it's but a little more complicated. you kind of got to go backwards. Yeah, yeah. It's a little <laughs> more complicated because some have done 44. Some have done 37. Some have 20. So like, you got to have an Excel chart. We've, Excel hit, we've hit most of them with most people, but we quit restarting after kid four. We were like, you know, yeah, we just done. have to we're actually done. count. So I think actually um, child number five is missing four. I think only three of the states oh, that everyone fun. else has done. Yeah, oh, that's, that's not bad. Cool. Okay. And they're fun ones, so we won't mind returning. All right, Lynn, you guys do a Christmas. You have done in the past Christmas getaways. Tell us yeah. about that because you're engaging older kids mm-hmm. to come but back. It kind of started when they were young with uh, both Rick and I moving away from family. His family was in Kansas. Mine's in Canada. We were both far away from family. So we spent all of our vacation time, usually in the summer, driving 19 hours to this one and 16 hours, that one, like just year after year to try to keep some family. You know, we couldn't afford to fly. We, you know, we did these long trips and we did that for a lot of years. And I think actually my oldest was in junior in high school and we just kind of went, we have never been on a vacation with just us. Mm. And so we went on a cruise, which was eh, just so. But then we just said, let's, I think the first place we went was Italy. And again, doing things the way Rick does them and the way I do them. You know. And I think he probably planned most of it. I probably did the detail, but he had us two days in each six different cities. So we had, you know, had 12 days. <laughs> on the two, go. Yes, on the go, on the go the whole time. And, uh, that was an eye-opener, but it was awesome because we saw six different places in Italy. I mean, it just makes you want to go back. And we enjoyed it so much that we kept doing that, and we just decided to invest in, you know, a big trip every year. That, And they were all about it because they had the time. They were students. They were available. Of course, I want to travel. And it's given them a love of travel, which has been great. I mean, we went to Australia, and we went to Greece, and we went to for years, we went to Iceland, but somewhere along the way, we were usually doing it Thanksgiving and Christmas because as students, that's when they were available. And I loved it because it just took off, took away all the craziness at Christmas, like just the stress. We could each bring one small gift for each other to yeah. fit in our suitcase. Got to fit. Just got to fit. And, you know, you and could no still get presents. nice electronics, whatever in there, yeah. but it just simplified everything. And I think... I think we all enjoyed it, but I think I enjoyed it the most because, you know, as the mom at Christmas is just all the crazy. So we enjoyed a lot of Christmases in different places. That's a great one. All right, Heather, you do a summer thing, right? Heather plans epic adventures. 
Tell us about well, the actually. Hang on, wait a sec. Before we get into your adventures, one very distinct thing about Heather. Now, this is only Heather and her family know this. There's a story in the book about us in our Volkswagen, uh, the the I VW know. van, and oh, yeah. the <laughs> the first day we got it, we stopped at their house and they hosted us. This is a true, one hundred percent true story. And Heather looked at our van, which they were the most amazing hosts. She had gifts for all the kids, all this stuff. And she looked at our van and she was like, um, I have a friend that works at the Four Seasons and I can get you a room tonight. This is the first night. And I was like, yes. She was like, I'll, we'll take the kids. You and Andre can go stay at the Four Seasons. And she's like, you don't have to stay in that van. Do you remember this, Heather? So, okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, let's do it. And Andre would, Andre would not let us Take her up on it. It was our first night (laughs) ever. So that's part of the book. And she was part of the story. (laughs) And I texted them the next morning. I was like, and how, how was your night? And like, I don't think you'd responded right away. And then you, I just got something like terrible. (laughs) We got (laughs) stuck. And I mean, it was actually really terrible the first night. (laughs) But those are the things that builds character. Your kids will laugh about it. It's good stuff. Good stuff. True. Okay. So what do you, what are these adventures you plan? I love travel. So my kids are like, (laughs) it's so bad that they are, you know, think about their ages though. Right now they're like teenagers. So everything is like an eye roll. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm always trying, it's, it's harder as they get older too, to get them to commit to travel. So I try to make it really fun for them. So try to, you know, kind of get everyone's where do you guys want to go? What do you, what's fun for you? You know, and so we, we kind of, as a family, try to plan things now. I think that's working better. Cause I would, you know, when they were younger, I would just plan stuff and I'm super adventurous and I like to be on the go and we'd get there and everyone would be like, this is not a vacation. Like we are exhausted. <laughs> so I'm starting to, again, like hearing everybody else's needs and making it a little bit more enjoyable for everybody. so um yeah and you know i mean we go away every year we i planned a trip to guatemala for everyone and they all started to panic (laughs) as the trip was coming close and so everyone backed out except mia my my second oldest and i was like am i gonna go to guatemala alone and she's like no mom i'll go with you and we had an amazing time oh just you and her went just, I, I mean, everyone was canceling, canceling, you know, you, you're crazy. They're on the do not travel list. You know, you shouldn't do this. You don't speak Spanish. I'm like, we're going. <laughs> anyway, it was amazing. So I'm actually okay. I plan great trips. Whoever wants to come can come. And if they don't want to come, like it's, it's okay at this point, <laughs> at the ages that yes. they are. I love it. That's the adult child yeah. planning right there. But you know, what's really sad this, I have to admit this since we're all being vulnerable. Andy and I have never taken a trip alone <gasps> in oh. 24 years. Okay. So as since you our read, honeymoon. hang okay. on. So okay. as you yeah, read this, what you thought about that when you were reading this, didn't you? I was like, I know this is a department that is not okay. I get That's it. Interesting. So what are you going to do about it? That means 25 is it. coming. Yeah. We're going to fix it. 25 is coming real soon. 
Well, I would recommend the Four Seasons over a VW van, just for the record. I mean, we've gone like away, <laughs> like for a night driving distance, but we've never gone on a plane away from the kids for more than maybe two days. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how that happened, but that's, I got to admit that. I don't even know what to say. I can't believe you guys are still very happily married. Yes, but that's just not been something. I don't think Andy loves to travel, to be honest. He always wants the kids with us. Yeah. This is so interesting because we're like opposites because Rick cannot wait to go anywhere. He just almost daily, he sends me TikToks of the (laughs) best places to go in Iceland or almost daily. Yeah. And he retired with the dream of we are just, and he didn't want grandbabies because he was afraid that I wouldn't want to travel. I mean, he just looked forward to retirement and travel. And with the pandemic and a grandbaby, he hasn't had near the travel that he wants. So he is just raring to go all the time. When I think about years past when we would go on trips, I was so thankful I had three daughters because they would relieve me and take turns getting up early with him to go to the best breakfast place wherever we were. You <laughs> to know, do all look, the adventure to things. To do all the adventure And you things. could sleep in <laughs> or lay by the beach Yeah, or when whatever. it's just the two of us on a trip, it's kind of, it's exhausting. It's like, and and I do, I, I enjoy travel, but give me a good four-day weekend and then I'm back home again. Whereas he's like, since he retired every week, it's like, we should go here for a month. We should get an Airbnb for a month in this city. Yeah. And then how about this city? We, we just, just stresses you, know, we should, you out. <laughs> I'm like, leave for that long. And so we're very different in that. And that has got to change too. I mean, I need to, we need to plan. I mean, seriously, almost every other day is we need to sit down with our calendars and find a time. And, and when you just spoke that you think that your husband really prefers when the whole family's together, I think I do too. Those trips are invaluable Look, you to just me. found a need and a desire and an expression that you should express to your yeah. husband now. It, well, <laughs> yep. But Y'all, just so you know, this is, I recorded all this. This is recorded. So like, I'm going to take Little's timestamps. <laughs> and send them to Send them husbands. to your husbands. And this is like, <laughs> I have to admit, I noticed that this is great. I have this. I have the same. Oh my goodness. Well, is there anything else that you felt like in reading or that you wanted to say or that you didn't feel like we hit on that was something that you really thought about that meant something to you or? I just want to say how grateful I am for you guys to all the work. I mean, I remember walking mornings with you when you were just thinking about the book or thinking about your adventure that started and what that grew into. But to bring all this to light and to to take, and I know it was a lot of effort getting this written deadlines and work and family while you were doing it. And I just really appreciate it because it brings so many things to light for so many people. And I think it's just, we're all on a journey of trying to know our feelings, communicate them and learn about ourselves and what we need. And I just think you've done a lot to kind of help people who aren't the two-year-olds now that are getting a little better education on how to do that. I think you're, you're helping 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, and 60-year-olds to just really focus on some things that need focused on. When you asked about capacity, one other thing I had written down is that this year I started to, on Fridays, try and hold space for myself. So I don't schedule any doctor's appointments or any tasks that I have to do on Fridays while my little ones are at preschool, just to hold space for either me or 
my husband and myself to just have time because I realized that weekends aren't a break for parents. Mm -hmm. So the break needs to happen before Mm -hmm. the weekend. Yeah. So I started doing that and that's a, a good mental health capacity thing for me. That's great. And now it's time for the breakdown. Well, how did you feel being the husband in the room listening to all that conversation? Oh, it's it's like it's like something I always wanted, you know, to be in the conversation, but not have it be directed to you. Yeah. <laughs> I did feel like a couple of times you tried to like look at me or direct things at me. I'm like, this is not my battle. <laughs> I'm just here for the ride. Now, listen, a few things. Number one, when Lynn talked about the one quote in the book that she kind of disagreed with, but then agreed with, but then disagreed, and she can't decide if she's going to agree or not agree, that was actually one of the quotes in the book. I've never revealed this to anyone that I disagreed with originally when you wrote it, but I've come around. I'm kind of in the same place as Lynn. I'm kind of in the same place as Lynn now. I've learned that. I need to agree with it, even though I disagree okay, with it. Okay, the quote is, before everybody is still wondering what this quote is, is that knowing our limitations and capacity is the beginning to become all we are meant to be. That is the quote. So you disagreed with me. No, what, I'm, what I appreciate is that it's really made an impact on your life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I originally did disagree, but I've, I feel like I've grown and I'm learning this now. Oh, I like that. I like that. I, I mean, I think ultimately a lot of this is knowing what you need and how to ask for what you need and communicate that with your partner in some form or fashion, whatever way that looks like, whether that's help at home, whether that's a better help with work things, you know, whatever it was. And I think Heather's example was really beautiful of like a forced, you know, realization. But I think Which that no one wants that. No one wants the forced one, but I also think you no know, we need to be able to do it without the force. So there was a moment where I think you brought up a question about whose responsibility is it at the end of the day? Is it to recognize capacity issues and care issues. And I think that's a question I've thought a lot about. I think it's both of our responsibilities, but I can't bear your responsibility. All I can do is be responsible for me. Mm -hmm. And so being responsible for me means, do I understand what I need? Mm -hmm. And am I offering any help to you? I think both of those things are things that I have to commonly be thinking about. I can't just think about one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like the truly listening to the partner part Mm -hmm. that is like, yes, I have to know my needs very specifically, but I should also be listening for your needs in some way. Yeah. I need to. Yeah. Even the four hour thing that we're it's like, I need to gift that to you. Mm-hmm. You need and you need that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't know you need that. Yeah, there is this societal thing though that is very, pre- I mean, prevalent that I just feel that is this like automatic fall on the woman, which one hundred percent is super like patriarchal and 
we are just ingrained in that mentality in this society. And that is something that I'm like really, I mean, irks me is that it is the automatic fall on to the woman all the time. What do you want me to say to that? I would like you to say that that's true. I already said and it was 100% it. true. You want me to say like 200% true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing I want to say is I'm so thankful for the vulnerability of all three of these ladies. Um, to share these personal stories this is really hard. I mean, understanding your capacity is very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Understanding it personally and then sharing it with others is very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So not only did they share some really challenging situations in their own life they shared it not just with us but all the listeners so yeah what a beautiful yeah amazing people amazing friends yes thank you lynn callie heather no thank you andre and thank you that is another episode of love or work where i strangle you This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.